Welcome to the Chime Opioid Action Center podcast, where healthcare leaders explore how technology is making an impact in the fight to end the opioid crisis. Here's today's moderator. Well, hello, everybody. My name is Ryan Stolzpart. I am a pharmacist from Epic, and I serve on the Chime Opioid Task Force. And it's my pleasure to moderate the podcast today. And I have a special guest with me, and his name is Dr. Melnick. Dr. Melnick, would you please introduce yourself and where you're from and your role? Sure. Thanks, Ryan. It's a pleasure to be here. My name is Ted Melnick. I'm an emergency physician at Yale. So my clinical practice is in the Yale New Haven Hospital Emergency Department uh, in New Haven, uh, as well as our, one of our satellite sites out in Guilford, Connecticut. Um, but I actually spend the majority of my time um, on the academic side in the medical school doing research on digital health and uh, health IT, EHR, uh, really interested in the front end of uh, the EHR user experience and usability. Um, and so I come at that from several angles and we'll share some details of a, a pretty big project we've been working on the last few years on that. Uh, also, one of the other things that I do is I oversee our uh, fellowship for clinical informatics, um, which is a pathway to board certification in clinical informatics for um, physicians from any specialty. Uh, so we every year bring on a, a new fellow uh, coming from all sorts of different specialties and uh, introduce them to uh, clinical informatics pretty broadly at the Yale as, at Yale as well as uh, our local BA. Well, that sounds pretty good. Um, an ED physician with a lot of IT informatics you're basically a, a dual threat or at least a dual threat. So that's, that's good to have you here um, with me. The, um, the first time that I had heard Dr. Melnick speak was um, at Epic at, at one of our user group meetings. I think it was last year, 2021. That's right. And uh, we, we kind of had a dedicated track for um, opioid related presentations. We're trying to identify best practices that our customers are using. And the presentation that, that you were giving, it was, I, I think it was uh, describing a program that you were initiating called the embed program. And I was hoping you could maybe just kind of give us a high level overview of that program. I think that's really what we wanted to kind of focus on for this uh, topic. So I was hoping you could kind of give folks a little bit of a foreshadowing of what that program is. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, Embed is is more than a program. It's a project. So it's a, it's a five-year uh, NIDA funded project. NIDA is the uh, Institute on Drug Abuse, part of NIH. And it included a year and change of infrastructure and app building, as well as a trial. Uh, and now we're in a dissemination period for the embed project. So it's a five-year project. We're in year five now, uh, but the app or program itself or the intervention from the academic standpoint was to come up with a user-friendly, user-centered pathway for treatment of addiction in the emergency department uh, to offload some of the burden of uh, EHR use and make it easier to treat addiction in the ED. So specifically, um, my co-PI on the project, Dr. Gail D'Onofrio is an addiction medicine uh, expert and some of her seminal work 
in the emergency department is on initiating uh, treatment for opioid use disorder with uh, Suboxone or buprenorphine. And in that work, she showed that when buprenorphine was initiated in the ED, you could double rates of uh, retention and treatment at 30 days. Uh, so given the scale and um, severity of the opioid crisis, the idea with Embed was to um, try to overcome some of the barriers to treatment uh, by making it easy to um, initiate buprenorphine in the ED and then uh, hand off care to uh, community providers of, of medication for opioid use disorder. So uh, in order to do that, this initiation of buprenorphine is pretty complex and uh, unfamiliar uh, to most emergency docs. So we wanted to uh, kind of offload some of that confusion and unfamiliarity and give them some, some uh, technology that would, would make it easy to do this. So uh, to initiate buprenorphine, you need to establish three things. One, does the patient have opioid use disorder that's severe enough to initiate treatment? Two, um, how you initiate treatment depends on the presence and severity of opioid withdrawal. So you need to assess that. And then three, um, the patient needs to be motivated to start treatment. Um, so basically we've built a, an intervention that has flexibility that helps with all three of those pieces. And then once you've actually made it through and you have someone that you do want to treat, uh, we automate several of the EHR tasks uh, to, again, kind of offload burden and, and make this easy to do. So uh, the, the embed intervention or app uh, includes the ability to automate order entry, uh, note writing about the initiation, uh, prescribing outside of the ED, uh, discharge instructions and referral. When we built this the first time at Yale, we built a uh, integrated web application that we presented at UGM last year. Uh, but really uh, across our trial uh, where we had three health systems on Epic and two on Cerner, the idea was that we would have fidelity with those pieces, diagnosing opioid use disorder, assessing withdrawal, um, motivating treatment, and then uh, the automation of, of the, the five parts of the EHR tasks, the note writing, prescribing, order entry, discharge instructions, and referral. That's embedded in a nutshell for you, Ryan. Wow. It is amazing. I mean, that's why I wanted to bring you in here. It, it, it is a pretty holistic approach. And um, that's kind of what we were kind of looking for with some more, you know, stories around strategies around um, with treatment and getting people started for treatment. And I think you laid it out pretty well, the reasons why it's, it would be, could be beneficial to get that started in the emergency department, some of the barriers. The other thing that you kind of mentioned that was important is that you wanted a solution to really be EHR agnostic. I think the workflow that you were presenting was, basically it was just kind of a, a button click in the workflow and then that program is really brought uh, right to the physician. So they didn't really have to leave, leave their workflow. Can, can yeah. you talk about, about that, I guess? And, and, and some of this might be a little bit where you use the word user-centered design. I was just hoping maybe you could talk a little bit more about, about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so user-centered design is a, a big part of, of my work on, on the design end. I mean, really a project like Embed encompasses uh, really 
what I've now come to appreciate is, is systems engineering. So, uh, which includes problem analysis, design, development, implementation, and evaluation. But the user-centered design piece, I think, is so critical to creating a solution that um, is well integrated into clinical workflow. Um, and you know, certainly, uh, Epic, I think, is is uh, starting to approach a, a lot of their design like this. Uh, more more thoughtfully and carefully. I've done work with Tim Thompson, for example, uh, who's a usability lead at, at Epic and uh, recognizes the importance of, of um, really designing for users' needs. And in order to develop something this complex that really can fit into clinical workflow, part of it is, is uh, that user-centered design process, which includes um, a needs assessment and understanding uh, you know, really how what you're building will meet those needs. Um, and then building a solution uh, that you iteratively refine until you reach uh, something that's meeting their needs. And so traditionally outside of a platform like Epic that typically includes some initial wireframing and early prototyping and then um, refinement and, and uh, more, um, high fidelity prototyping that eventually becomes a product that gets implemented into whatever it is you're doing. It doesn't even have to be digital. Um, so it's interesting though, with, with uh, Embed, um, we started building this in early 2018 and we were really on the fence in terms of, can we do this within the Epic platform versus something freestanding? And uh, we definitely learned a lot along the way and also uh, because I think other people were asking these questions, it was interesting to see what happened at Yale New Haven versus other health systems um, that were in the embed trial network. So we did build a, a web application that had a lot more flexibility with its interface since it wasn't built as a, a native Epic tool. But ironically, that was like early 2018. It was around summer, fall of 2018 that Epic launched their pathways. Uh, so our other Epic systems were able to basically take advantage of this, this more integrated approach that was becoming a part of uh, the Epic Foundation native functionality. And ironically, Cerner also was, was doing something similar, and I'm probably going to confuse the names, but uh, had a similar you know, integrated pathway. So uh, again, for our trial across these five different health systems, we needed fidelity and uh, the web application that we built uh, it really proved to be too difficult to roll it out outside of our health system just to maintain it and keep it as highly customized as we'd originally hoped it would be. But the good news is that after going through all this and that it became a part of, um, or, or that, that care pathways became uh, available within Epic is that when, after we presented at UGM, um, there was a, a lot of appetite to um, build this particular pathway uh, into the foundation system at Epic. So I've been actually working with uh, Epic's opioid task force and uh, the May 22 Epic upgrade should have a lot of this functionality available. And that's going to be announced probably before uh, this podcast airs. So there will be some resources that maybe we can include alongside the podcast for uh, other Epic systems wanting to turn the embed tools on uh, at, at their sites. Yeah, that's right. I, I can confirm that. I kind of reached out and 
looked into that before we, um, you know, in preparation of this and those tools are in there and they're ready. And we created um, what we call a turbocharger package to make it pretty easy to um, essentially import the tools and the workflow in, into your system. So if, if you're a healthcare system out there using Epic, uh, you know, definitely reach out to your technical service representative and they can help you with that. So that's good. Um, also, we appreciate, you know, sharing these best practice ideas with us and, and really with anybody, um, because I think that's uh, part of our goal at Epic, but also part of our goal at, with Chime is to help distribute best practices like this. So thanks, Dr. Melnick. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is, you know, part of the NIH all, all hands on deck approach to uh, confronting the opioid epidemic. So um, our goal was always to make these tools as widely available as possible. And again, we're in this post-trial dissemination phase and uh, having these tools available nationally to all Epic clients is I think a really big win. So uh, we, we wanna eliminate as many barriers as possible to treatment. And, and uh, I'm really glad that, that Epic is taking the initiative to, to make this a part of the foundation system. Well, considering that you're uh, probably a little farther along and kind of in the, um, the phase that you're in, maybe you could uh, talk through with a little bit of your experience as you were rolling it out. I, I imagine that there's probably some healthcare systems out there where they want to do a little bit more of offering some kind of a an option to initiate buprenorphine in the emergency department. Um, I know there's a lot of barriers. The tools that you're creating help to address some of those, but I'm just wondering if maybe you could kind of talk through, you know, what, what were some of your experiences as you were setting this tool and, and the workflow and the, and the program up? And um, I don't know if you can share any of the results that you were seeing at this point or not, but if, if you could kind of share some of that, that sure. might be good too. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, as a practicing an emergency physician, I, I realized this was important. And even in my own personal practice was kind of overwhelmed with how I might uh, initiate buprenorphine. So in some ways, yes. I was building this uh, for me or for people like me, which I, I think across the board in the emergency department, probably a lot of folks can relate to that. Uh, yeah, that's kind of why I mentioned you're a dual threat. You see, you, you kind of identify a problem and you can solve it and then share it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, you, you know, I'm not an addiction medicine expert. I, I'm, I'm an emergency doc and, and an informaticist. So uh, it was important that we had strong partnerships with people with addiction medicine expertise and that we could kind of overcome some of those implementation barriers. We certainly can't overcome them all. So there were definitely technical barriers that I think we overcome came a lot of them, um, but a big piece around treatment of addiction uh, that you know embed is is uh, hopefully there for, but not necessarily capable of, of overcoming in and of itself are the stigma around opioid disorder and treatment, and then the availability of treatment. You know, not just in the emergency department, but uh, outside the emergency department, and and even in particular. Once treatment has been initiated in the emergency department, how do you get somebody to uh, a place where they can continue their treatment? So, you know, we were aware of all of these issues and uh, hoped that overcoming the IT and workflow issues might help 
with with the stigma and uh, the availability, but it, in many ways, you know, we could only do so much. So a part of what we were doing in that initial build phase was understanding all these different uh, barriers and trying to address as many as we could. Um, that that kind of warm handoff from the emergency department to the community provider, I think, is is something that you can try to automate, but it really depends on the availability in the community. And um, you know, hopefully, there will be more availability as as time goes on and without. Uh, available places for referral, I think that creates a, a big barrier that uh, emergency care providers are conscious of and can sometimes potentially use as an excuse not to treat. I, I would encourage folks to take a hazard, uh, sorry, a harm reduction uh, strategy, which again, uh, I'm not an addiction medicine person. I've learned about this uh, through this process that, you know, any day not using is is potentially an overdose prevented and potentially a, a day towards uh, recovery. Um, so treating someone and uh, potentially getting them off of, um, you know, the illicit opioids so that they may make it to treatment somewhere, even if it's not clear where that is yet. I think the ED plays an important role. And then again, working with our addiction partners, realizing that even if you don't think there's places to refer in your local community, that may not entirely be true. So uh, hopefully by overcoming some of the, you know, technical, logistical workflow issues in the ED, we can uh, confront those questions more head on uh, in terms of, of availability of referral. Um, and, and again, it may just be there if, if you look. And in terms of, of the trial itself, uh, the way that we ended up uh, putting together our study, we did what was called a, a group randomized trial uh, where we randomized sites within health systems uh, to either have the intervention or to not have the intervention. Uh, and we balanced that randomization based on several factors, including you know, whether it was an academic or community site, the size of the site, whether they were on Epic or Cerner. So we tried to balance all these different factors. And uh, at the end of the day, I think like the academic hubs were probably more prepared to do this. They may have had more referral options available in their community. Uh, so I think it been helped more there. We, we definitely want to work with our community partners as well. And we're, we're you know, continuing to try to understand what those barriers look like. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, the trial results, which uh, should be published in the British Medical Journal, BMJ, in early July, showed that at the patient level, we didn't really make a big dent uh, again, because I think there were a lot of things we didn't overcome and, and some of our control sites uh, were already doing a lot, but where Embed did help was in the intervention sites, uh, we saw a 10% increase. It was like from 34% to 44% of emergency attending physicians had initiated buprenorphine at least once during our trial period. So, and I think that's the big hurdle really as a practicing emergency doc is, can I do this in my practice? And certainly before I had the embed tools, it was, uh, again, pretty complex, unfamiliar, seemed, seemed like it was gonna be tough to do with the embed tools. It, it made it so streamlined that we could get people to take that first step. Mm -hmm. And our, our conclusions around this is that, 
you know, embeds important, but again, th there's other implementation barriers that uh, we still need to overcome that, you know, we hope in future work to um, couple with uh, the embedded intervention. And also again, to hopefully make it just kind of out of the box with Epic that, that this is there um, so that we at least take away some of those barriers. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, I can just say again, how much we appreciate you sharing this with us. And when we make that in our foundation system, that just, we, we just have a mechanism to be able to share this as a best practice with really any other site um, that's using the software. And so when you think about like any kind of little improvements that you make and helping a, a doctor at least get the first one under their belt. And then once they feel more comfortable with it, that maybe the floodgates kind of open up a little bit more, um, you know, assuming some of the other barriers can be addressed, but just the scale at which that can be rolled out now that we kind of have that as a released feature in the foundation system. Again, a, a lot of that's um, due to you or you and your team. So we appreciate that. Is there anything else about um, this program and, and what you did that you were uh, hoping to convey and let the audience hear? And then as my final question, I, I guess I'm a little bit curious as to what you're up to now. Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, I think I covered most of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess just in general, again, I would say approaching opioid use disorder with open eyes making it easy to do so has def definitely changed my practice. Uh, certainly that first time was tough. Uh, now I still go back to the tools because again, it automates all these things for me. I, so I don't need the support in terms of does this patient have opioid use disorder? How bad is their withdrawal? Can I motivate them? It's more the, the back end piece of it. Let me just hit this button and it takes care of everything. It writes the note, it puts in the orders, it does the referral that frees up the time for me to have a conversation with the patient. And this is where I think the magic is with good digital health with it's user-centered, right? Because yeah. if I'm spending all my time on the computer, I don't have as much time for my patient. So then all of a sudden I have this time to have a conversation with the patient. And again, with open eyes and trying not to stigmatize, thinking like, you know, this is somebody's son or daughter, brother or sister, mother or father, how can I help them? Um, and, you know, once you start having conversations that way, it's amazing how different it goes. Cause it's hard with, when, when you have opioid use disorder, I, I don't have too much of a personal connection to it, but I can see how people are suffering and how they're stigmatized. I'm just thinking about, you know, a couple of recent cases where people come in motivated and ready to start treatment sometimes. And because of the stigma, they're often turned away. And as emergency care providers, we're, we're doing them a disservice and, and we're putting them at risk. Somebody with severe enough opioid use disorder to come to the ED with a overdose, which we see all the time, they have a 5% mortality rate at one year. And uh, a lot of that is in the first couple of days after their ED visit. And, and when you think about medical conditions like heart attacks or diabetes, we, we would never stigmatize and, and deny treatment, right? Like it's just part of what we do. So again, I think having the good digital health and allows those conversations, but a, a big part of it, again, coming at this as somebody who's, who's not addiction medicine trained, but now seeing how my practice has changed, it's, that's been really the, 
what's made it special. Um, but in, in, in terms of what's next, you know, I, I'm someone who's always trying to improve on, on what we've got and, and make it better. So again, I, I kind of mentioned that systems engineering cycle of uh, problem analysis, design development, uh, implementation, evaluation. We've, we've been through it once already with Embed. We'll, we'll be through it again. But uh, another piece of, of my work that I'd like to share with the group that's listening uh, is, is uh, really about good measurement around uh, EHR use itself. So I've been doing a lot of work in this space that is agnostic to the individual intervention and just really trying to understand uh, how users interact with the EHR and how we can measure it in a way to um, continue to make improvements uh, in the usability and user experience. So in that regard, we're actually looking for some informatics leaders from health systems uh, for an upcoming workshop series on understanding some of the barriers to improving EHR use measurement, as well as potentially developing some new ones. What I'd really love to see is for interventions like the embed intervention, even you know once it's up in the foundation series, can we measure how users are interacting with it in a very standardized way such that we can then identify where things aren't working as well as we'd like them to or as intended. And we can then go through and, and have targeted um, improvements. So some of that may be already happening at Epic uh, behind the scenes, but on the academic side it, and for someone developing interventions like this, I think it'd be really key to, you know, again, open up the doors and, and share resources on these sorts of things to continue uh, to improve interventions like Embed or just in general, uh, various uh, modules within Epic and other EHRs. I love it. I, I once heard somebody say you can't improve what you can't measure. So if you can have good tools to measure and um, you know what's happening, it makes it a little bit easier to know what kind of changes and adjustments you need, you need to make. That, that's that kind of the, the thought process behind what you're thinking there? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, I... I just wanted to thank you again, Dr. Melnick. I, I appreciate your time. Also, I appreciate um, you know the work that you did in this area and your willingness to uh, you know share this with us and really with um, with with any EHR vendor and, and doing it in a you know agnostic approach. Um, I, I really appreciate your time and thanks again for participating on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's it's a pleasure to. Be able to share the embed tools with everyone.